Good morning. I hope everyone's having a, a good Memorial Day weekend, and I hope tomorrow, a Memorial Day, that perhaps you get some time off, maybe some time with your family, maybe, I don't know, a lake day, or maybe a work day to get some things done around the house. Uh, I just hope you have a good day tomorrow. More than anything, I hope you remember why you have the freedom to do those things, uh, that there were men and women who were willing to lay down their life for your freedom. And so I hope everyone has a wonderful Memorial Day tomorrow. If you have your Bibles, Micah chapter 5 today. Uh, this is the sixth week in uh, this series through the Old Testament book of Micah. And, and through the first four and a half chapters, we've seen God's judgment and we've seen God's mercy. Uh, we've seen God discipline his children and we've seen God restore his children. We've seen God's hatred for sin, but his deep love for sinners. And last week in the first part of chapter five, Micah prophesied of a coming ruler, not, not one who would come as a general, not one who would come leading a mighty army behind him, but one who would come as a shepherd and that would rule his people, leading them to green pastures and, and still waters. And so today we come to the second part of Micah chapter five, verses seven through 15. So go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. And, and, and the title of this passage in the Bible is a remnant shall be delivered. A remnant shall be delivered. And you may remember from a few weeks ago, we, we came across that word remnant. We've come across it a couple of times. And, and we said this, where there is a promise of a remnant, there is also promise of a future with God. So anytime we see this word remnant, we should be thinking about promise of the future, God's restoration. And, and the reason we said that is because all throughout uh, Israelite history, there was this pattern of scattering and gathering, okay? In disobedience, God would scatter his people, sometimes through the nation, sometimes throughout the earth. He would scatter them in his judgment. That was just part of his judgment. But then through his mercy, he would restore them. He would gather a remnant or he would gather a portion for deliverance and restoration. And so in these verses today, we see God restoring his people. And we see the promise of restoration in several ways through this passage. So let's jump in, Micah chapter five, verse seven. Then the remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. Okay, so, so here, notice, God describes the remnant or the regathering his people as dew or as showers on the grass. Okay, now in the Bible, anytime we see things like dew or showers or streams or green pastures, those are always references to the blessings of God, right? Think about Psalm 23. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside what? Still waters, and he leads me to green pastures. I'm sorry, he, lead, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So all those things, anytime we come to that kind of language, that really is a reference to the blessings of God. It might represent his peace. It might represent some kind of rest that comes from the Lord or restoration, but it's always a reference to the blessings 
of God. Okay, remember, the Middle East uh, is an area of dry climate, harsh climate, so having any form of water, any kind of lush vegetation would be a reference to the blessings of God. And so Micah says here, the remnant, the, the portion that God will eventually gather together will be like dew, will be like showers on the grass. What does that mean? What it means is this future regathering of God's people will be set in the midst of many nations, will be set in the midst of many people, and they will be a blessing to many. They will be a blessing and a benefit to the nations. That's what that means. Following God's judgment, he's gonna regather a portion, set them among the nations, and they're gonna be a blessing to the world. And so that's the first promise of restoration we see in this passage. If you're taking notes, God restores blessings to his people. God restores blessings to his people. Let me tell you how that applies to us. You know, sometimes when God disciplines his children, that might involve him holding back some of the blessings that would normally come to us. Because you know why? You know what happens sometimes? We desire the blessings of God more than we desire the one who gives those blessings. We all fall into that. Sometimes we want the good things of God more than we want the one who is the giver of all good things. And so in God's judgment, in his discipline, he'll hold back those blessings that would normally flow to us. But in his mercy and his goodness, God is a God who restores blessings. As we repent, as we remember our first love, as we return to him, he will allow those blessings to flow back into our life so that we remember and so that we pursue the giver of all good blessings. And so God restores the blessings of his people. And that's one of the promises we see in this passage. But there's more. There's a second one, and it's in verses eight and nine of Micah chapter five. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many people. We've already seen that like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears into pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. Now last Sunday, we looked at the first part of chapter five. You may remember that Micah said, uh, the Assyrian is coming. What that meant was the enemy is coming. Destruction is coming, judgment is coming, exile is coming. But now Micah says here in verse eight, nine, there'll be a time in the future after exile, after judgment, when the remnant will be like a lion among sheep. That, that means that the remnant, this portion of God's people, will, will once again become powerful and victorious again. They'll no longer be like a prey, but they'll no longer be like a sheep among wolves, but now they'll be like a lion among the sheep. And so what is that promise? What is that restoration? It's this, God restores victory to his people. That's the second promise of restoration we see. He'll restore blessing, and here he will restore victory. That word victory, it's an important word. Sometimes it means victory over an opponent, but sometimes it means victory over a difficult situation, victory over a struggle, or victory through a dark season of life. Here in the book of Micah, in the short term, Israel will be defeated. They will. The enemy is coming, judgment's coming, destruction is coming. They will be carried away into captivity. They will live in defeat for a season. 
but they will not live in defeat forever because God will restore their victory. You know, for you and I, there are seasons of our walk with the Lord that feel more like struggle than victory. If you've not experienced that in your walk, just wait. (laughs) Just wait, it's coming. There are dry seasons. There are wilderness seasons where it feels like God is distant, that his voice is silent, that perhaps we can't hear him like we once did. It'll feel like we're in a season of defeat. Things will come against us, health issues, relationship issues, things that we never thought would happen to us happen. And we find ourselves crying out in the wilderness, God, why is this happening to me? And where are you? There are sometimes our walk with the Lord, it seems more like drudgery than it does victory. But God's will is never for his people to live in defeat and slavery forever. Read through the Bible. Anytime God's people were taken captive, taken into exile, taken into slavery, it did not last forever. The season of defeat did not last forever. Listen to 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For everyone who's been born of God, everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ, overcomes the world. Not might, not if you're living right, If you know Jesus and you walk with him as a child of God, you will overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Our faith in who? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? That's who overcomes the world. We might experience seasons of defeat, but God will give us victory because his will is not that we would live in defeat forever. His plans are not evil, they are good plans. Plans not to harm us, but to give us a hope and a future. Even the difficult, even the dark seasons of life include plans of restoration from the Lord when we call out to him, when we pursue him, and when we are obedient to him. God restores victory to his people. And then we see the third promise of restoration in the next few verses of Micah 5. Here's the the promise. God restores holiness to his people. Holiness. Let's look at verses 10 through 11. In that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and I will destroy your chariots, and I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. Now, wait a minute. This is supposed to be God's restoration. It sounds like his destruction. He's taking away things. How can this be, how can this be restoration? Well, understand, Israel had developed a, a lot of different kinds of strategies and resources to avoid defeat. They had horses. They had chariots, fortified cities. It says they had strongholds. All of those things were for the purpose of military might, military power and defense. But God says here, in my judgment, I'm going to cut all those things away. I'm going to take all those things away. I'm going to restore holiness by cutting those things away. Instead of hoping in horses, instead of hoping in chariots, your hope will be in the Lord. Because he's going to take all those things away. This is addition by subtraction. I'm not good at math, so... I know this is addition. God is going to add something by taking something away. Let me ask a question. Where do you find your hope, your security, your strength? Where do you put it in? I mean, maybe it's some kind of uh, retirement plan, financial success, a 401k. 
Maybe your hope, your refuge, your strength is in your family or your home or your property or your own empire that you've been able to build with your own hands. Some kind of comfort that you've been able to achieve. Maybe your security, maybe your refuge is in a government or a political leader or a political ideology. Actually, none of those things is where true refuge and security lasts. It's only in the Lord that we find true security. And so for the Israelites in this passage, God says, you have put your hope in your military might. You've put your refuge in your military strength and your defense. And so now I'm going to cut those things away so that you have nothing to trust in but the name of the Lord. So he's adding holiness by taking away something else, but it doesn't end there. Look at verse 12. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you shall have no more tellers of fortune. Witchcraft, other kinds of sorcery were practiced during this day and time among God's people. And they were used as a method of foretelling the future, which is different from the prophets of God, by the way. This is, this is, this is foretelling the future by a different spirit, a dark spirit, okay? But not only to foretell the future, sorcery was used to con- try to control people, to con- try to control situations. And God said, I'm gonna restore holiness to my people by cutting those things out of your life. That's like a cancer and I'm gonna cut it out. And today, hopefully, as followers of Christ, no one here practices witchcraft. If you do, we need to talk, okay? <laughs> All right, sorcery. Hopefully we're not using sorcery to control people in situations, right? But you know what? You and I still have control issues, do, do we not? Right, we wanna, we wanna control situations around us. Anybody here a self-proclaimed control freak? Don't point fingers at anybody. Yeah, we all wanna control situations. And when we can't control situations, when things seem to get out of our control, it impacts our, our well-being. It impacts our peace, it impacts our happiness because now we, we can't control what we want desperately to control. If the truth is many of us have trouble letting go and letting God. Just letting go and letting God. We say we trust God, but I'm really good at controlling this situation. God, I think I know better how to, how to control this situation. And instead of letting go and letting God, we try to control it. What are the areas of your life that you're trying to control, that you've not surrendered, that you've not given to God, that you're not trusting with God? What areas do you need to let go and let God? And so that's one of the promises of restoration. God's gonna cut out sorcery and witchcraft and fortune telling from his people. He's gonna cut it out like a cancer. So they have to rely on his wisdom. But it doesn't end there. Verse 13, and I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands and I will root out your Ashura images from among you and destroy your cities. Again, this doesn't sound like restoration, does it? This sounds like destruction, okay? But what's happening here, the Lord says, I'm about to remove your idols. 
I'm about to cut out your graven images. And he mentions Ashura images. Really, those were just images or statues to a pagan goddess, a Canaanite fertility goddess by the name of Ashura. She was very popular during this day and time, a a pagan goddess that was worshipped by many nations. You see, idolatry was a big problem among the Israelites. We see it all the way through the Old Testament. And once again, we see the Lord saying, I'm going to restore my holiness to you by taking something away. I'm going to cut off your idolatry. You no longer will be able to bow down to the works of your own hands. You see, idolatry was a problem for God's people in Micah's day, and idolatry is a problem for God's people today. Maybe we don't have a sure poles or golden calves that we bow down to, but you and I have our own idols, things that we bow down to, our career, our goals, our achievements, maybe our families, maybe things that we want to rise to. One day we bow down to those things and they become our idols. You see, when good things become ultimate things in our life, we stumble into idolatry. When we make things that God has given us and we put those above the one who gave them, we stumble into idolatry. We are just as guilty And God said to the people in Micah's day, I will cut those things off from among you. I will cut that out of your life. I will remove that so that I can add holiness. And so three things that that God's people had put their hope in that God's completely removing here. Military power, sorcery and magic, and the third was idolatry. And God's approach with dealing with this thing is to cut them off. Cut off military power, cut off sorcery, cut off idolatry, but it's important that we have the right image of God here. That he's not some executor who's holding the hand of Israel with a big hatchet and he's getting ready to hack off their arm because of their disobedience. That's not the right image of God. That's not the character or the nature of God that we need to understand. Here's the right image if you're taking notes. God is not revealing his hatred against his people He's restoring his holiness in his people. This is not a destruction of a nation. This is freeing a nation from the deceitful things that they've put their trust in for centuries. This is the restoration of holiness. The the remnant of Israel would would no longer trust in their military might. They would now have to trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant could no longer trust in sorcery. Now they would have to trust in the wisdom of the Lord. The the Israelites would no longer be able to put their hope in false gods. Now they would have to put their hope in the one true living God. This is not hatred. This is holiness. This is not God rejecting his people. This is God rescuing his people from themselves. Let me try to give you a very simple example, maybe to help you connect the dots here. When I was about... 10 or 11 years old, my family bought a brand new push mower, okay? We lived on several acres of land. Some of that had to be mowed. Some of it had to be mowed with a push mower. And because I was a low man on the list, I got to do the push mowing, okay? And one summer, our push mower just died. It just just wore out. There was no fixing it. And so we bought a brand new push mower. It was beautiful, candy apple red, beautiful. Smooth, you started just purred like a kitten. And one day, it's time for me to push mow the yard, okay? 
Now this mower was not like our other one. The other one, it, it went forward because you pushed it forward. This one was actually not a push mower at all. It was a self-propelled walk behind mower. But somebody forgot to tell me that. <laughs> so as a 10 or 11 year old kid, I'm behind this thing, pushing it like an offensive lineman pushing a, a blocking sled. And I'm, I'm pushing as hard as I can. This thing's barely moving. I can't hardly get it to go anywhere. And I'm, I'm putting all my strength into it. And I'm, and I'm going to die out there. It's 150 degrees, the middle of summer. I'm trying to push this lawnmower. I, I'm like, this is, I don't like this. I want the old one back. I don't, I don't like this new mower anymore. It's too hard to push. And my older brother saw from a distance, I guess he had some mercy. And he came over and he said, look, he said, it works a lot better if you push this lever down. And on the handlebar right side, there was a lever that when you pushed it down and held it down, the lawnmower propelled forward all on its own. That was a game changer for me. I mean, that was like, that was like NASA kind of technology back in my day, right? I mean, that was revolutionary. It changed everything. Now mowing, it was so easy. But someone had to rescue me from myself, right? I, I was going to kill myself that summer had someone not told me there's a better way. You're, you're not doing this the right way. There's a better plan here, okay? There was no doubt. I wasn't smart enough to save myself in that situation. Someone else had to save me from myself, okay? That's kind of what's happening in this passage. God is saying to his people, you're doing this all wrong. This is not my plan. This is not my design for you. I, I, my plan for you is not to put your hope in the things of this world or, or the hope of, of, of sorcery or magic or put your hope in false gods. That was not my plan for you. And, and I don't want to reject you. I want to rescue you. I, I don't, my heart is not to destroy you. My heart is to deliver you from yourself. And so let me ask, how does that happen? How, how does a holy, righteous God rescue people who are prideful, full of sorcery and idolatry? How does he do that? The same way he saves you and I, by sending a rescuer, by sending a savior. If you're taking notes, get this. Jesus Christ received the rejection that we deserved so we could receive the rescue that we could not provide. Someone had to save us. And it was God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. People in Micah's day could not save themselves. People today cannot save themselves. We need a rescuer, we need a savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the very last passage, verse 15. This verse is a transitional verse. It steps back from the immediate situation of Micah, Micah the Israelites, and it, this is more of a world view. This is God's declaration in verse 15. It says, My, and in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that do not obey me. And so now, this is not just about the Israel anymore. All nations are in view here, and God promises that in his anger and wrath, he will execute vengeance against all nations that do not obey him. But here's the thing we have to see. We have to look into this a little bit deeper. 
There's a purpose this chapter ends with that verse. What we have to understand is the remnant. Remember the title of this? The remnant shall be delivered. The remnant, those who God has regathered and restored unto holiness, those, the ones who were, were once scattered but now have been regathered, will not face the anger and the wrath of God because they have experienced God's true mercy through their repentance. They will have returned to their first love. They will have been rescued by the one who came to deliver them, the coming Messiah. You see, this shepherd who rules his people and leads them to still waters, who leads them to green pastures, the great rescuer of souls, he will be the peace. He will deliver his people from their enemies. This once rebellious, sorcerous, idolatrous people will be rescued and restored by the coming Savior. Everything points to Jesus Christ. If you hear nothing else I say today, understand it doesn't matter what book of the Bible we're in. It points to Jesus Christ. You get into a book like Micah or Genesis or Exodus or Psalms or Proverbs or Zechariah or Malachi, it doesn't matter. If you get into that and dig, you will see that it points us to a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, and there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Look, if we go after any other name other than Jesus, we'll only be disappointed. I want you to listen to this, um, I, I, this statement I read uh, from uh, one of my commentaries this week. It says, if we meet the demands of any other savior, if we meet the demands of any other Savior, we will not be fulfilled. And so if our Savior is our career, if our Savior is a certain achievement, if our Savior is maybe uh, just striving for comfort, that says we will never be fulfilled. That Savior will never fulfill us. And if we fail to meet the demands of that Savior, it will never forgive us. And so if I make my career my Savior, but somehow I fail in my career, that Savior will not forgive me. If I make money my God and I chase after that God, but I fail somehow to acquire it, that Savior will not forgive me. But I want you to listen to this quote. Jesus is the only Savior who, if you gain him, will satisfy you, but who, if you fail him, will still forgive you. No other Savior will do that. No other savior in this world will do that. No other system will do that. Jesus is the only one who rescues and restores. And his rescue, his rescue is greater than anything that we would think to ask for. His restoration is deeper than anything we thought we needed because it's on the soul level. And it gives us the relationship that is true and lasting satisfaction to our soul. Jesus is the only thing that satisfies us. Nothing else will do. There's no other name by which we must be saved. The question is, do you know that Savior? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you been rescued by his grace and mercy? Have you been restored? 
by his blood to a right relationship with the Father. Is the name Jesus the name that you've called upon? If not, I I pray that you'll do that today, that you'll call out to Jesus Christ, admitting first that you're a sinner and you're in need of a savior, someone to rescue you from yourself, not just yourself, but rescue you from your sins and redeem you. I I pray that, that you'll believe with all of your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he received the rejection that was yours but that he rose again, that God raised him from the dead. And I pray that you will confess Jesus, if you haven't, as your Lord and your Savior, that he'll become the king of your heart, that he'll become your ruler, he'll become your shepherd, he'll become your rescuer, and he'll become your Lord. Would you please stand to your feet as I pray? Heavenly Father, Father, while we were a prideful, idolatrous people that leaned on our own wisdom, Father, while we were a people that deserved your hand of judgment upon us, Father, in your mercy, instead of sending sending your wrath, you sent us a Savior. Father, you made a way for us to experience mercy, to experience your goodness, to experience restoration. Father, I pray that we look at the book of Micah as a reminder of who you are fully, your justice and, Father, your judgment, but, Father, also your love and your restoration and your mercy. Father, I pray that we can look at the nation of Israel. Father, we can learn Father, it doesn't make sense to put our hope in anything of this world, anything that protects us or brings us comfort or some kind of temporary happiness that is all meaningless, that it's all temporary. There's only one thing that's lasting. And Father, that's your kingdom. That's the relationship we have with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray today that if there's anyone here or watching online that does not know Jesus as the one true living Savior, that they would call upon that name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. Because it's in Christ alone that we have our hope. Father, I pray that you would draw, draw us now into truth. Draw us into your presence. We give you this time and ask you to lead and guide in Jesus Christ's name, amen.